Today's podcast is brought to you by the American Society of Human Genetics, supporting scientific discovery, education, and advocacy by human genetics specialists worldwide. From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is CQ Now, your nonpartisan news source for how the inside workings of Congress and the federal government shape the real world. Congress is back in town, but serious questions remain over whether lawmakers can finish spending bills to keep the government running. Zika virus, anti-discrimination measures concerning the LGBT community, and defense disputes are only some of the obstacles. Six years after President Obama's health care law became law, congressional Republicans still are subpoenaing the administration about the way the law is being implemented, and they're doing it at a record clip. Is this oversight or is it partisan harassment? And President Obama is touting strides the country has made since he took office and is painting an optimistic picture of the United States heading into the heat of the election season. Are voters buying it? And is he helping fellow Democrats? I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call with a look ahead to the week of June 6th with appropriations reporter Jennifer Shutt, health care reporter Aaron Mershon, and White House correspondent John Bennett. Jennifer, the elections are looming, and there are only 19 days when the House and Senate are both in before the Republican and Democratic conventions and the month-long August recess. How on earth is Congress going to finish working on all these spending bills? It seems less and less likely that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and House Speaker Paul Ryan will actually achieve the goal that they've set out of passing all 12 appropriations bills by the end of the fiscal year on September 30th. The House so far has passed one of its spending bills, and the Senate has passed three. They're also working on that Zika supplemental bill that everyone is paying attention to. When they come back from the break in September, they'll be working on the continuing resolution, that stopgap spending measure that will move them past the end of the fiscal year on September 30th, most likely to mid-December when the parties will know the outcome of the presidential elections. And that is likely as far as we'll get this year. Now, on the emergency spending regarding a response to this public health threat, the, the Zika virus outbreak, uh, over the Memorial Day recess, the sides weren't exactly sounding harmonious. Uh, the House would give the administration about one-third of what it wants, the Senate about $800 million less. Any room left for compromise? They have to compromise. The House has put forward a $622 million fiscal 2016 offset spending bill, while the Senate has put forward a $1.1 billion emergency spending bill that is not restrained to a fiscal year. The House side has set up uh, its conferences. The Senate has yet to do so. And while this spending bill is, monetarily speaking, much less than the other appropriations bills that they're working on this year, this is one of the more politically divisive bills, and it is one that a lot of voters are paying attention to. So it's something that they'll definitely want to figure out sooner rather than later. There's a curveball here that, that some of us over at the White House have noticed. The White House has, yet again on a spending measure, an odd stance. At least publicly, they're insisting on $1.9 billion. And when we have pressed and asked and asked it five different ways in the course of 10 minutes, the answer has always been it's $1.9 billion. That's the only acceptable number that, that the president will accept. Now, you, you can't find any expert who thinks Obama wouldn't sign 1.1, 1.2, whatever he could get. But then there's the matter of the offsets. The House bill is offset, um, and the White House is rejecting offsetting 
um, any of the dollars. So in a way, Zika is taking on the last seven years in one bill, and it, it's just unclear how they get to something that the president would sign and, and could also pass the House, at least pass the House with the majority of the majority. Well, it's a real commentary on the distrust in this town that they're having some real high-stakes brinkmanship over a public health threat. This is a mosquito-borne disease. It's getting warm. The mosquitoes are out there, and, and cases are picking up in many states. So it's um, it, some, something is going to have to give. Um, that's not the only big issue, though. Uh, Jennifer's spending bills in the House have also been held up by bitter fights over amendments dealing with uh, anti-discrimination and government contracting, this North Carolina law we've been talking about dealing with public bathroom access. And you write that Republicans are rethinking their commitment to an open process on these spending bills where so many of these proposals get a vote. Yeah, um, Chairman of the Rules Committee, Pete Sessions, speaking with reporters before the Memorial Day break, said that in conversations with Speaker Ryan, they have been considering requiring amendments to spending bills to be printed in the congressional record ahead of time. We still don't know what the timing on that would be, whether lawmakers who want to offer amendments to these bills would need them printed an hour ahead of time, a day ahead of time, a week ahead of time. What we do know is that Speaker Ryan does want to stick very heavily to regular order and making sure that all members of the Republican caucus can be involved in the spending process. So just fewer surprises if you at least print these things, put them in writing, maybe uh, fewer curveballs. Yeah, the argument that Republican leadership has been making is that it would allow their members more time to understand what they're voting on so they don't have confusion at the last minute and vote switching um, and the sort of partisan rhetoric that goes with that. So as if these hot-button social issues and Zika weren't enough, we also have Senate Armed Services Chairman John McCain wanting to blast through defense spending caps, right? Yeah, Senator McCain has said that he would like to plus up by about $18 billion this year. If it passes, the Defense Authorization Act on the Senate side could cause some problems when taken up on the House side. Democrats would most likely call for an increase to domestic spending as well, while the fiscal hawks on the Republican side of the House would likely call for cuts, which um, could be pretty interesting debate. Aaron Mershon, uh, six years after Obamacare became law, congressional Republicans still are sending waves of subpoenas demanding information about the way it's being implemented. After dozens of unsuccessful repeal votes, after Supreme Court cases upholding parts of the law, what is the GOP thinking? Well, you know, the GOP is actually pretty emphatic about what it's doing. Um, they, see, they see this as robust and appropriate oversight for a law that's affecting such a huge chunk of the economy. You know, they look at Obamacare, all the rules and regulations that come with it, and for them, inquiring and subpoenaing information about the implement implementation is a way to really dig deeper into these complex regulatory processes. They'll tell you they're not trying to undermine the law, they're just trying to keep a watchful eye and a check on the administration to be good stewards of taxpayer dollars. But if you ask Democrats, this is absolutely a partisan witch hunt designed to waste the administration's time. There's letter after letter, subpoena after subpoena, request after request. Earlier this year, we had a an administration official testify that since the start of 2015, the Department of Health and Human Services specifically has responded to more than 5,000 letters from Congress and turned over tens of thousands of pages of documents, all of which is taking up a lot of their time. And I did a survey of uh, of the how many 
letters different committees are sending to the various agencies that they oversee, and health is getting far more than uh, any of the other agencies out there from uh, their committees of jurisdiction. Now, the Republican tax rioters on the House Ways and Means Committee, they're zeroing in on how the administration funded some of the law's insurance subsidies. And this is actually one area where Republican critics of the law have racked up a legal win, right? This is. It's a really interesting example, um, and it's what most of the subpoenas coming from the Ways and Means and Energy and Commerce Committees relate to. So this is a cost-sharing subsidy program of the 2010 federal health law. It's a program that's separate from the tax credit but also helps lower the out-of-pockets health care costs for low-income Americans. The House of Representatives as a whole, led back by former Speaker John Boehner, sued the administration over these subsidies in federal court arguing that the administration inappropriately funded them without first getting an appropriation from Congress as required by the Constitution. So pretty interesting route to take with one branch of government suing another one. Um, And in May, the House did win the case. Um, The administration has already appealed, so we'll sort of see this one play out over the next few years. And what's, what's interesting about the Republican investigation in these two congressional committees is that sort of separate from the, how the court case, the uh, the two congressional committees aren't really content with just the lawsuit. So they've opened up their own investigation into the facts, which they say is an important part of their oversight duty and, and which Democrats see as sort of redundant, another waste of time, um, something that's coming on top of a lawsuit that's already sort of settling these things in a very different venue. So for argument's sake, even if the administration broke the law, implementing part of the health system overhaul. It just seems incredibly risky politics for Republicans to try to tinker with the subsidies or, for that matter, undermine anything people are already getting in an election year. The political dynamics here for Republicans are always so interesting. On the one hand, undermining the ACA really does rally their base, and I certainly think that robust oversight of the Obama administration in particular really has been a winning strategy for them. But on the other hand, anything they do to take away health care coverage from Americans who have it right now, that gets them into rough waters. I think in this case particularly, the legal particulars put them on better footing because even if they ultimately prevail after round and round of um, appeal in this case, the subsidies to Americans won't disappear overnight. So the, the payments to insurance companies will end, and that will absolutely still wreak havoc on the exchange markets, right, insurance premiums could rise. There's no question that this could really be a big blow to, the, to Obamacare. But I think in this lawsuit, more than in some of the other ones we've seen from Republicans, they can keep their hands a little bit more clean and say, oh, well, this is an appropriations issue. It's a legal issue. This isn't something that's, you know, us trying to get rid of Obamacare. Takes away the human element a bit, but uh, it could scramble the calculus in, in keeping people covered. Exactly. John Bennett, uh, President Obama has been giving speeches to college graduates and other audiences contrasting the economy he inherited in 2008 with the much more positive conditions today. Is this about his legacy or is he trying to help fellow Democrats make gains in the elections? And either way, are voters buying it? It's about both of those things. And it's also uh, in large part about Donald Trump, as it seems like just... um about everything in this election has become about Donald Trump. Right. What Obama Obama is definitely trying to strengthen his own legacy on economic issues. Over at the White House, they, they clearly believe he hasn't gotten enough credit for what he did uh, after the 2008 uh, economic collapse and since then with the auto industry, uh, the unemployment rate. That comes through in just about every conversation, every briefing, uh, every speech. So that's a big part of it. But also, he is clearly irked by Trump's 
um, assessment of America, that, that America is not great right now. I've called uh, what uh, Obama's speeches lately, and the commitment speeches really are kind of a trial run for his stump speech. He's been taking it for a test drive. And his argument really is America is pretty great right now and getting greater. He doesn't use Trump's name. He says he doesn't want to give him free advertising. But he is trying to send the message that America is great. It's better than it was before he took office. It's better than it was when he graduated college in 1983. And it seems like they're trying to attract, you know, some moderates, some undecideds, maybe some Republicans out there who just won't vote for Trump. And maybe this will help them come over to Hillary Clinton's camp if she is. And it looks like she will be uh, the Democratic nominee. So does Obama have any hope of getting any of his remaining priorities through Congress in the months ahead? Or has the partisanship, the distrust we were talking about before, just gridlocked things beyond hope? It looks like he's not going to get very much of it. Uh, we talked about the Zika bill, uh, which most people around town think something will pass eventually and he'll, he'll sign whatever he can get. But after that, you know, they've been talking about a criminal justice overhaul bill. There's a lot of support. On, in uh, both parties. You've got um, leaders in both parties who want to do it, who are sponsoring legislation. Uh, and Obama is uh, a big advocate for overhauling, uh, especially uh, prison sentencing uh, provisions. But there just isn't, number one, there's not a lot of time to get that done, even though they've been talking about it. You know, once these things get on the floor, they kind of take on a new life and amendments get floated, amendments get introduced, and then you have a days-long fight over an amendment or two, and Congress isn't going to be here that much. I don't think people really know, um, you know, I think Congress is here maybe, I think the Senate's here 24 days, 24, 25 days before the August recess, this, uh, the House is here 21 days. They're here most of September, and then they're not, they're here just a handful of weeks for the lame duck session. And to push something the size of what they're talking about with criminal justice over the finish line, there's just not a lot of time. And Republicans will have to ask themselves, do we want to hand Obama a big victory on his way out the door? You know, history suggests they, they might not want to do that. They might want to wait uh, until there's a new president. Right. Right. Now, we have Indian Prime Minister Modi uh, coming to Washington next week. Why did Obama invite him now, and what does Obama hope to accomplish during this quick visit? U.S.-Indian relations, really since 2004-2005, kind of ebbed and flowed. George W. Bush's administration made a really big push to, uh, to, to bring the two countries closer on trade, on defense, military cooperation, and for, uh, for various reasons, kind of at the end of the Bush administration and the early years of the Obama administration, I wouldn't say relations cooled. It, it just seemed like both countries were, both governments were um, otherwise occupied. And now at the end uh, of his administration, Obama's not so quietly trying to, to counter China. It really seems like he's trying to set up the, he's trying to leave the next president with the strongest possible hand to play in countering China. And India is is a big part of that. And that was a big part of the Bush administration's push. And it, he's kind of, it seems like he's picking this mantle up again. And, you know, they're going to talk about things like defense cooperation, uh, trying to finalize a deal where U.S. arms makers can sell in the Indian market, um, which would be a huge counterweight to China. It would be great for those companies who 
who still think they're being pinched here by cap defense budgets, so that's a big market for them. And more military cooperation, that's a signal to China if you've got U.S. ships and Indian ships you know, doing exercises in the Indian Ocean. So it's largely about China. It's also about trade and economic ties. And that's another push that Obama seems to be uh, making really hard in, in his last months with uh, the Asian trade deal he's trying to get passed. Uh, he's negotiating a trade deal with the European Union. So this all falls in line, this Indian visit falls in line with, uh, with, with, his, uh, with his foreign policy push on the way out. And a fairly quick uh, visit. This doesn't involve state dinners uh, or anything like that. That's right. Just a working lunch with Obama, uh, other meetings uh, around town. He'll speak to a joint session of Congress. Uh, he's here about 50 hours. So, that, And this trip came about in the last two months. So it's been, I wouldn't say thrown together, but you know, there's not, there wasn't time to plan a big state dinner, state visit with all the pomp and circumstance. White House correspondent John Bennett, thank you. My thanks to the healthcare reporter Aaron Marchand and to appropriations reporter Jennifer Shutt. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CQ Now, and you can download our podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Have a good week.